Welcome to the ADHD Women's Wellbeing Podcast. I'm Kate Moore Youssef, your host, and if you've arrived here, there must be a reason. I'm guessing you're curious to learn more about improving your wellbeing alongside ADHD, or maybe looking for some advice or guidance to feel healthier and calmer. So, why start this podcast? I'm a wellbeing and lifestyle coach, EFT practitioner, mum to four kids, and I discovered my own ADHD alongside one of my daughters at the age of 40. And now, after supporting many other women just like me, and probably you, I feel there's a need for more emphasis on well-being and lifestyle help for women with ADHD. And through the podcast, I want to offer you new insights and perspectives to enable you to live your most fulfilled, calm and balanced life. So wherever you are on your ADHD journey, my aim is to support you in finding the awareness and the most aligned tools to enhance your well-being so you can make the most intentional mindset and lifestyle choices moving forwards. Ready to get started? Here's the episode. So hi everyone and welcome back to the ADHD Women's Wellbeing Podcast and today I am beyond excited to be able to welcome a really special guest and someone who I've looked up to for many years, especially since I've been working in the ADHD field. I am delighted to announce that today's guest is Dr. Edward Halliwell. And if you haven't heard of Dr. Halliwell, I urge you to go and buy his books and really learn from him because he has been in this field for over four decades. So I will explain to you about his work. So Dr. Halliwell is a board certified child and adult psychiatrist and world authority on ADHD. And he is the founder of the Halliwell ADHD Centers in Boston, New York City, San Francisco, Palo Alto and Seattle. And like I said, he's spent the past four decades helping thousands of adults and children live happy and productive lives through his strength-based approach to neurodiversity. And he also has ADHD and dyslexia himself. And amazingly, he's written over 20 books on a multiple psychological topics and the groundbreaking distraction series, which began with Driven to Distraction, which I've read and is fantastic, which is also co-authored by John Racy in 1994, and that sparked a revolution in understanding ADHD. So Dr. Halliwell, thank you so much for, for joining me today, and I'm delighted to be able to pick your brains and ask you lots of questions, um, which I know you like to do. You're a good question asker, because just before we get started, I did a five-day course with Dr. Halliwell, Ned, and we did it via the Cape Cod Institute. And it was the most fascinating five days. I've got a whole notebook of notes and I learned so much from you. But what I learned was incredible was watching your curiosity and the way you connected with all the other participants and you loved hearing about everyone's life stories. And I'm exactly the same. So it definitely must be an ADHD trait. So welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. It's lovely to be here with you. And you're quite right. Curiosity is really our one of our gifts and really our driving force. What propels us forward is curiosity more than anything else. Yeah, absolutely. And that was always part of me. And I remember people used to say to me, you ask so many questions, you're always so interested. And that's why I love coaching, because I can ask lots of questions. There's lots of active listening, but I love asking questions. Yeah, when I was a kid, they called me the question box. <laughs> but also it shows your that innate intuition of wanting to connect with people and finding common ground you know like I said in the intro you've authored 20 books you've got ADHD and dyslexia yourself you've grown a business and your 
passion and your purpose is helping other people thrive with ADHD. And I would say that's also mine. My a big part of my coaching is all strength based, which is why I did the course with you, because I've seen so many people who have had debilitating ADHD. I've seen it in my family. I've seen how it impacts. But my I would say my biggest driver is to help people find that gold within themselves, find the strengths, learn to adapt to life with ADHD because it's not going anywhere, is it? It's, it's we were born with it, it's with us. And is that, I mean, has that always been your approach to helping people from the very beginning while you were learning about ADHD? Was it always trying to find the strengths? Yeah, because I learned about it after I'd finished all my education i you know and i'd done very well you know I, I went to a top prep school called exeter i went to harvard which most people have heard of i went to a wonderful medical school down in new orleans tulane then back to harvard for my training so the last thing anyone would have thought was that i had some kind of learning disability which most people take as a equivalent to being stupid and and i'd always known that i had dyslexia because i'm a I'm an incredibly slow reader. Uh, it, it takes me forever to get through a book. In fact, my wife says, I don't know how you know anything. It, it takes me so long. But I majored in English at Harvard, you know, so and I, I did have to read to do that, major in English. It's one of the misconceptions about these things is that you, you, you are disqualified from, uh, and it's just not so. I mean, yes, I had to work harder. But then the, the gift part of dyslexia kicked in and, and I was able to excel. And the, the same thing with ADHD, but I didn't know there was a name for the ways I did things. I knew I did things differently. I knew I went outside the box. I knew I liked to, you know, I went off on tangents all the time. That's the way I go through life. I mean, it's one distraction after another. But you see, I, I'd say those distractions, uh, if you put them differently, they're explorations. And, and some of them are, are wonderful. So, so there I was in 1981, I'd finished my residency in psych, adult psychiatry. And you have to do something after that. And uh, there was there's choices, you could be a chief resident, you could do a, a year of psychopharmacology, you could study forensic psychiatry, it, you know, it's a garden of earthly delights. But I chose to do a two-year extension in child psychiatry, just because I thought that would be very interesting. Well, child psychiatry is, is where uh, ADHD lives. We are the people who get the most training in it. And it's unfortunate because we are rare as hen's teeth. Most people don't want to do the extra two years. So it's hard to find a child psychiatrist. And, and but I so there I am sitting in July, a warm summer morning in July, and this uh, teacher, Elsie Freeman is her name, she was a, a neurologist and a psychiatrist. And she introduced me to what was then called ADD, attention deficit disorder. The H wasn't part of it. And as she talked, I had this, you know, it's like Saul on the way to Damascus. I mean, I thought, whoa, that, that's me. And uh, but the more she talked, the more I realized that the medical model, the deficit disorder model, left out all the good stuff. I knew I was smart. I mean, I proved it many times over. So you can't tell me I've got some disorder, or if it is a disorder, then it's got a lot of good stuff with it. And that's what I realized then, that, that yeah, I had this condition called ADD, but that the medical model only got it half right. They, they left out all the good part. 
And that makes sense because medicine is about pathology. You don't go to the doctor because you feel so good. Uh, you go to the doctor because you're in some kind of pain. But when it comes to the mind, it's really important that you fill out the rest of the story because we identify with our minds. We, we don't identify with our kidneys. You know, if you say, well, you've got a sick kidney, you, you don't take offense at that. But if you say you've got a sick mind, you do take offense at it, and it hurts your feelings, and it it diminishes you you in your in your own rating, and that's the real disability that we inadvertently create. We practitioners, the real disability is not uh, ADHD and the symptoms that come with it. The real disability is thinking you're stupid, yeah, and thinking you can't do stuff, yeah, and thinking you're excluded from the higher walks of life. And, and if you're not so, I can name you people at the top of every single profession who have it. I can name you Nobel Prize winners, you know, self-made billionaires, let alone millionaires. And, and you know, most entrepreneurs have it. But most people don't know that, including, you know, the people in medicine who, who I think, Russ Barkley, who's one of the leading researchers in the field, uh, said to me once, Ned, will you please stop talking about the advantages with ADD? Because nobody wants to fund research into advantages. Mm. Yeah. So there, there is a reason you want to promote the downside because then you'll get research money to investigate it. And you know, I fully appreciate that. The problem with promoting the downside is the damage you do to the people who have the condition. They walk around thinking they have a deficit disorder. I mean, what's that terrible term? A deficit disorder? I've got a deficit disorder. There's no way you can give that to a child or an adult and have them feel good about it. Um, and, and, it's, uh, it, and it's inaccurate. We don't have a deficit of attention. We have an abundance of attention. Our challenge is to control it. Yeah. So it, it's, and I don't see it as a disorder. I see it as a trait. If you manage it right, it can become a great asset as it has done for me. And for millions of others. What's the name that you'd like to change it to? Because I know you were telling us, and is this going to happen? Do you think it will happen in your lifetime? No, it's not going to happen. It's a, it's, a, it's a pipe dream. But I would like to rename it Variable Attention Stimulus Trait, VAST, because it is a vast condition. And uh, two of the key elements of it are attention and stimulation. And variability is a hallmark. We are consistently inconsistent. Hmm. So I'd love to, and it's, I don't see it as a disorder, but as a trait. So I would love to call it VAST, Variable Attention Stimulus Trait. There's no, there's no stigma attached to that, um, but it won't happen because the, the people who control the names do so with, with great uh, uh, fierceness. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It, it would be nice to know that in the future that we could identify with something that isn't called ADHD because it's preventing people from getting diagnoses. It's preventing people from talking about it. The stigma, the so much of it is just not relatable. And some of it is, you know, as you probably know, ADHD shows up so differently for everybody. You could have one more than the other. And it's just so hard, isn't it? To be able to say, right, I have a deficit of attention because like you say, the hyperfocus can be such a huge part of your ADHD. Um, well, how, 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 how have you dealt with it? You, 
How old were you when you discovered you had it? So um, I'm 42 and I discovered it two years ago. And that was with... Um, only two years ago? Only two years ago. But... Oh my goodness. What? But it's been in my family for a long time because of my brothers. They how, were... did, how did you discover it? What, what brought it to your attention? So one of my daughters um, was... I realised what was going on. It'd been a, a couple of years before lockdown. And then it was over lockdown. I was like, this is not right. It's not dyslexia. And it's not just, it's not quite dyslexia, not quite dyspraxia. There was something else going on that there was a missing piece. And I just started doing some research. So but, it was your curiosity. That, yeah. Uh, but the thing is, is that I'd always sort of thought about it about myself because my brothers were diagnosed with ADHD much younger. They were diagnosed in the... 80s 90s early 90s so it's always been there and I've always seen ADHD and I've seen it what in boys I've seen the traits in boys I had never heard of a girl a woman having ADHD it was not even on my radar so when I started looking into it and I saw girls ADHD and then I thought god you know that's me as well you were what like 39 38 years old I was yeah, I was nearly forty. I was just I was approaching my fortieth birthday, and my daughter and what got diagnosed. What were the symptoms you identified with? Oh my goodness! Um, there was even from, you know from a very young age of myself, there was anxiety, there was worry. I didn't even know it was anxiety. I was just a worrier. Um, probably a bit of OCD, lots of thoughts that just kept coming back all the time. Would your mind wander? My mind would wander. I'd sit in class. Now, the problem with my education is that I moved around a lot. I moved through around the world. I changed languages. So everything was, I was always on the back foot education-wise. So when I came to do, go to university, I sort of scraped through because I had all sort of mismatches of, um, you know, qualifications. But I knew at university that I had to do a practical degree. I had to to sit in lecture theatres for me. I used to watch everyone writing notes and I'd just be sat there looking around and looking at people's shoes and watching the lecturer's hair and all these things. But again, you know, I'd miss lectures and then there'd be something that I'd be really interested in and I would be in the library hyper-focusing. But I didn't have a language for it. I didn't understand. I didn't understand when I was overthinking and ruminating. All these words, the, the language just wasn't there. And how how has your how has your life changed since you got the diagnosis? It was profound on another level because I used to beat myself up very badly, um, crit very self critical. Why can't I do what other people are doing? Comparing myself, just not understanding why certain things just didn't come to me naturally. Why I could see other women keeping tabs on this and turning it to school meetings and remembering this. But then I found the other things, like really big things, not that challenging. So my husband used to sit down with me and say, why are you focusing on all the stuff that you're bad at? He was kind of like my ADHD coach when I didn't even know I had ADHD. And he just kept saying, but you do this and you do that and you're good at this. And I say, but that doesn't matter in the practicalities of life. The practicalities of life are, I need to get my kids up to school. I need to make sure I'm not, I don't miss a meeting. But he said, but you, you're building businesses and you're doing this and you can create recipes from scratch. And what businesses I created, um, for, I, was, I used to work in PR, so I, I went freelance and I did a PR business. And then very typical ADHD, after I'd had my fourth child, I had a bit of a career break and I decided I wanted to <laughs> start a succulent plant arrangement company <laughs> and I've never touched or seen a succulent plant in my entire life but I just decided that I could do that and it was um, new to the UK it was quite big in America 
And the next day I found a supplier nearby. I created ideas in my head and within a week I started my own business. And people were like, what are you on? What is wrong with you? Yeah, now what now? So that was after you had the diagnosis? No, this is two, three, oh. four, five years before. So, I mean, that was ah, like the wow. red flag. <laughs> But I you didn't... started a succulent plant arrangement business and you'd never done anything with succulent plants before. No. Oh, wow. No. That's just so great. That is so good. And then the business did okay? Yeah, it was fun. I mean, my daughter, my youngest daughter was little, but this was that inner restlessness. You know, she was a baby. I had four kids. My life was so busy, but there was that inner restlessness of the soul that I couldn't placate. Yes with every yes. anything else and the only way I could placate it was doing something creative and it did yes. and it really saved me I think it saved me from maybe losing myself or I don't know there was something that I needed that was beyond my family and it's I oh so wonderful because in my my book ADHD 2.0 I stress the importance of I call it find your right difficult but having a creative outlet and this was it for you. I mean, that's one, and and it, and you picked talk about difficult a field you never even <laughs> done anything in. You know. Yeah, I mean, I kind of researched, and I I blended it together with my love of like vintage um, finding. So I used to love going to thrift stores and charity shops, and I'd find vintage pottery and I'd plant it and I'd create all sorts of creative arrangements but the the funny thing is is that I didn't know how to describe the business because like there was no other business out there doing what I was doing so I didn't even have a description and I look back and I think why did I not see that was ADHD but I didn't know what to look for but now I use it as an example for anyone else that is struggling because they want to fit into a box they want to conform and I don't think that's what we do we we want to spread our wings we want to do things differently and that's when we thrive and so your your negative thinking was about how you weren't enough of a conformist yeah i was like what's wrong with me why can't i just be like a normal person like I, honestly the the language and the self-criticism that i used to you know think about and and it was so detrimental like what, would you, what would you call yourself i'd just be like why why am i like this like why am i the way i think like what though like what like, what? um, why? But it was also, I was quite, I used to say I'm flaky. So that was me, obviously, with a hyper focus. And then I'd do what I want to do with the hyper focus, and I'd, I'd be bored and want to do something else. So there was a lot of words like, you're flaky, you try things, then you give up, you start things, you don't finish them, um, you say you want to do this, but you don't do it. And that was kind of the narrative that was going on until I actually did That was stick. coming from within you. That yeah. wasn't anyone else saying that. Oh, yeah. Know. All the pressure, all that was coming from me. No one was saying that to me. There might have been quips. And again, with the RSD, no. the quips would be big, um, you know, criticisms that I would inflate into my head. So someone might make a remark, but that remark would play over and over and over. Um, the fear of the judgment, the fear of the feedback... So a lot of the time I wouldn't put it out there what I was doing. And again, and I see this a lot with, you know, the women I work with, the listeners of the podcast, is that they do want to do great things. They do want to do the things that light them up. But then I think the RSD, the rejection sensitivity dysphoria. Is, and don't is... forget the default mode network, the, the DMN. Yeah. Amplifies all of that. Can you explain briefly 
because I know that that this was a big part of this is a big part of your book. Yeah, I think it's much more much more powerful than you're talking about rejection sensitive dysphoria. Yeah, I think everybody has a little bit of that, but the default mode network is is a really new discovery out of neuroscience, and it, and it really our greatest gift we people who have ADD is our imagination, but it's also our worst enemy, and that's because of the default mode network. So. When your imagination is engaged, when you're arranging your succulent plants, uh, four different regions of the brain light up, and together that's called the task positive network, the TPN, and that's when you're at your best. But then when the, the plants are arranged, the TPN shuts down, and what lights up instead are four other regions of the brain, still your imagination, but another part of it. And that's called the default mode network, the DMN. And everyone with ADD has got to know about this because the default mode, I call it the demon. And it sends out all those negative messages you were just saying. You're, you're a, a dabbler. You don't do anything thoroughly. You're a lightweight. You, you don't deserve your, you know, whatever you have achieved is done by smoke and mirrors. Yeah. I mean, the... Uh, you know, God gave you your kids. You didn't even do that. You know, I mean, it's just, you know, you, you would just bash yourself in horrible ways. And you see, the reason you keep feeding the demon with your attention is we're always looking for stimulation with ADD. Contentment is too bland. You don't say she was riveted in contentment. But you do say she was riveted in self-hatred and despair and fear and worry. It's absolutely gripping. It's horrible, but it's gripping. So you go into a kind of stupor of brooding and ruminating, and you just sit there staring at the at the wall or at the window or wherever. And and the 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 message that you, you've got to take in is couldn't be simpler, but it's hard to enact, namely, redirect your attention. It's like not looking at the accident on the side of the road. You've got to look the other way. And the minute you do that, the, the DMN shuts down. It, it can't survive without your attention. But we tend to feed the demon because it's highly stimulating, horribly, horribly stimulating, but very stimulating. And um, it's a, one of the most powerful lessons I've learned in the, in the past few years is, is just that. And it's how our great gift, our imagination, turns into a terrible enemy, the, the DMN. But you can control it, not with medication, but by redirecting your attention. And would you say, um, you know, things like gratitude and visualization, um, you know, what, what would you use to... Well, any anything that will engage your attention. Go for a vi vigorous run, turn on loud music, do a crossword puzzle, uh, take a really cold shower, uh, bake a cake, call a friend and talk about something totally different argue about Brexit or argue about, you know, the whatever you're interested in, but off, you know, the subjects that the, the DMN is torturing you with. Um, you know, it, it's, um, and you want to have available, you know, these other things to send your attention to. Visualization would be great if you can do it. it, it it's, uh, the DMN might be able to compete with that because it's, it's got to be very stimulating. I find um, visualization tricky. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, but it, it's got to be visceral and grab you loud music, cold shower, physical exercise. So whatever, whatever you can think of that will grab you. And that'll take you right out of it. 
break these terrible bouts of, I have patients who are so grateful, finally, they've been through all kinds of psychotherapy and medication. It couldn't be simpler, just redirect your attention. But you gotta find stimuli that are powerful enough to, to grab you. If you are currently feeling overwhelmed, join the club. So many of us are, including myself. So for that reason, I wanted to organise one last workshop for 2022. And this will be on... Friday the 9th of December at 2pm UK time and it'll be teaching you some easy EFT and tapping tips for ADHD overwhelm. Now I know so many of you message me asking me some you know tools and techniques to self-regulate and feel calm in stressful situations and I believe EFT is um, one of the most effective tools I have at my disposal so I want to share with you how I use EFT and tapping to calm and to regulate when I'm feeling overwhelmed. So perhaps you are looking for these tools for yourself or maybe for any of your children or you want to feel more empowered and in control of your emotions in stressful situations. And I promise you this one hour workshop will teach you um, easy to remember tapping techniques to help you when you are feeling overwhelmed and dysregulated, especially over the busy holiday period. So if you are interested, I've got all the details on my website, which is adhdwomenswellbeing.co.uk or head to the show notes of today's episode episode and all the details will be on there. I really hope to see you there for our last session of 2022. Now back to this week's episode. So when you say find your rights difficult and you find it with, and I've written here in, in my notes, is this special zone of finding it without the compulsion. So how are you saying that we, we obviously we've got the hyper focus. We need something, some activity that satisfies two criteria. Number one, it's got to be difficult. If it's not difficult, we'll get bored. Mm -hmm. We won't do it. And number two, it's got to matter to us. It's got to serve a mission, or we're getting paid to do it, or it serves our mission, or it makes us feel great, whatever. It's got to matter to us. So difficult and matter to us, we're off to the races. For me, it's writing. Nothing is more difficult than writing. And it serves my mission. I, you know, I want to advance what I'm saying. And I'm, you know, I'm like a, a messianic, uh, itinerant preacher, you know, and, <laughs> and uh, spreading the good news. And, and so for me, that's my right difficult. Yeah. The sooner you can find it, the better. We need that outlet. We need to create, we need to build. The, the strongest drives in people with ADD are number one, the desire to be free. And the number two, the desire to build, create, you know, I mean, look at you, four children. You, you've done the, the, the pinnacle of human creation four times, you know, and, and the, but we thrive when we have that, you know, something we can really sink our teeth into that challenges us, but that we can do and, and feel good about doing that. Very, and, and doesn't get mentioned hardly ever. People, when they talk about treating ADD, they want to drill down on executive function, which is fine. You know, we've got to learn executive function, but Honestly, you know, get a coach and work on that and set up structures and devices. But the more the more far reaching and really life changing interventions are like find the right difficult, find the right job, hook up with the right person, uh, serve the correct mission, serve the master you believe in, so to speak. These things make a big difference. And yeah, you got to figure out how to be on time. Although being on time, I'm I'm late everywhere, and, and you know I don't mean 
say I blow it off, but but it's not all that important as opposed to knowing what really matters to me in my life. Like, I'm sure you would say the same, what matters to me more than anything are my kids and, and my wife, Sue. And then uh, I happen to believe in God. And it, it's not like I'm, I'm a, not about it. I just, it, it just mm-hmm. organizes and centers me. And then, um, you know, the my creative work, uh, whether it's uh, doing what I'm doing now with you or seeing patients or writing books. And, and, and I think too many people with ADD, they drill down on what they're bad at, like what your husband said to you. And they spend a lifetime trying to get good at what they're bad at. Now, that's usually some version of executive function, being on time or not procrastinating or getting organized, cleaning out your sock drawer or whatever. Enough. That doesn't matter that much. You, in other words, when I talk to people about disorganization, I say the goal is not to be perfectly organized. The goal is to be well enough organized that disorganization doesn't prevent you from reaching your goals. And now that's an achievable goal. You can get well enough organized or hire someone to get you well enough organized. So disorganization doesn't keep you from reaching your goals. You'll never be house beautiful, you know, you know, Martha Stewart, whoever in England you guys hold up, but you can get well enough organized that you're not failing to reach your goals because of disorganization. We really don't emphasize nearly enough the other things I've been talking about, the the importance of a creative outlet, the importance of having a project to work on, the importance of, um, like right now, I'm, I'm, I'm working on my uh, 23rd book. In fact, it's a new book about ADHD that I'm writing for a British publisher, uh, and uh, they're gonna, it's gonna have, it's gonna have illustrations, and it's gonna be very ADD friendly, with little bullets and and uh, bubbles and all that kind of stuff. And, and I'm I'm having a great time, but it's very challenging, you know. It, it writing books, whatever format, it, it ain't easy. <laughs> and and uh, even though I've done it many times, I'm not a formula kind of writer. So each time I'm creating out of nothing. But that kind of stuff, uh, the power of love. I, I think in general, we don't talk about love enough. And um, what it's is that connection. It's, it's connection. Yeah, the yeah. power of connection. Exactly, 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 Kate. That's exactly it. I call it the other vitamin C, vitamin connect. And in today's world, man, oh, man, are we suffering from a vitamin connect deficiency. And, and the beauty of connection is it's free, it's fun, and it's good for you. The sad part is people don't take it seriously enough. Like right now, you and I are connecting. Guess what? That's good for us. You know, that that's fortifying. Sure, we're doing a job, I guess you could say, but mainly we're we're conversing and learning about one another and trying to inform people about what we know about this interesting condition. That connection that we make with each other and with the, the listeners whom we can't even see, it's there, though. The connection is there, invisible and inaudible to us, uh, but but it is there. And that kind of network, if you will, uh, is tremendously important. You've created that with your podcast and you serve it and you, it's like your garden, you water it, you weed it, you take care of it and, and, and it grows. And, and so there we have connection, uh, we have a creative outlet, we have the power of love. Uh, I guess purpose, faith. Yes, yes, yes. The, the definition of greatness is is a wonderful question to ask someone. What is your definition of greatness? 
uh, Alfred North Whitehead said, there can be no moral education without an habitual vision of greatness. Habitual is the key word there. It's not that you bring it out every Easter, but it, it's habitual every day. What is your, it's a great thing to ask kids, what is your vision of greatness? And to ask ourselves, what is your vision? Is it being rich? Is it being powerful? Is it being famous? Or is it doing good? Is it helping somebody? I mean, and I think if you think about it, uh, you'd have to come down on the final one, that, 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 that greatness has to do with improving the world. Um, and now, if you happen to become rich, fine. If you happen to become famous, fine. Um, but but I think that that vision of greatness and talk about serving a purpose, if that can be the purpose you serve every day, and then you get involved in some cause or another, like you and I are in the ADHD cause, but but it's part of our over, overriding vision of greatness, which is to help people improve the world. And the beauty, you know, St. Francis got it right in giving, we receive. And people say, ah, yeah, that's bullshit. Well, it's not. It's true, <laughs> you know. And and amazingly enough, you know, that when you give, you feel good. And, you know, you can take it too far and, and shouldn't do that. But these are the kinds of, uh, and it just so happens that we people who have this condition are unusually good at helping others. Yeah. But every one of our qualities has a as a as a reverse side. We're also unusually adept at mucking things up. You know, so, so you know we can so, we can be quite self-absorbed and introspective. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, then yeah. at the same time, we like you say we want to help people, and we have a huge amount of empathy as well. I mean, you you write about that in your book, all the paradoxes of ADHD yes, and all the reframes, yeah. which I thought was fascinating. And, yes, and I agree yeah. with you. I mean, a lot of the people that I work with with ADHD, they just so happen to be in the therapeutic world or they were their teachers, doctors. Um, you know, they're, they're, like you say, there's this sort of inner drive to, to live with purpose. And it's the ones that aren't living with purpose who are resisting doing what they are wanting to do because maybe they are conforming to family or society or friends, whatever. They are. But I think, you, I think you, put, you put your finger on it. Your life changed when you when you started embracing yeah. the part of you that did things differently as opposed to, you know, telling yourself you should conform. Yeah, a hundred percent. I mean, I'd touch wood. I don't want to say too much, but this is the, I, this is me at my best in my life now because I am living with purpose. And I used to speak to, I used to go and walk. So I'm quite spiritual as well. I'm, I've got a lot of faith and I used to sort of speak out loud, whether it was a prayer or an affirmation or something. And it would be, I just wanted to be of service. I felt like I had a lot to give, but it wasn't the right time. I couldn't train because I had, my kids were so young. And then I, once I started all my training in, in the different areas, that's when I was like, okay, this is where I'm meant to be. And when I'm coaching and I'm, we have that energy and I think, this is exactly what I want to be doing because I li I'm living with purpose. I'm helping, I'm guiding people to for them to thrive as well. And, and that for me has helped my ADHD because my DMN is nowhere near as strong as it used to be. Like I, I give myself a lot more compassion. Can I write about you in my new book? Oh my God, I'd be honored. Yes, thank wonderful, you. Wonderful, wonderful, <laughs> I'll, I'll, uh Because you'd be a great example. And being diagnosed, first of all, the biggest undiagnosed group are adult women, and then uh, being diagnosed late. And do you take medication or not? Not at the moment, no. It doesn't help you? Um, it does help me. I just, 
I, I manage it holistically through lifestyle. I have taken it and I will take it when I need to sit and write for a long period of time. So you use it like coffee or something. You use it w when you need it. Yeah, kind of thing. exactly. Yeah. yeah. So I, because I work for myself and I'm able to um, pick and choose my hours. So I know how many clients is my kind of comfort zone. And I know that if I overextend myself, everything goes to pot. I would get overwhelmed. I'm exhausted. Um, the knock-on effect, the ripple effects of my family is very, you know, visible. And, um, and the main change that happened when you got diagnosed was you accepted yourself you got rid of the DMM negative voices. Uh, it was it was the recognition that I wasn't broken and I wasn't, you know, always flawed and there wasn't something badly wrong with me. It was. And how did you recognize that? Because I read and I learned and I and I could understand and then I could see where it showed up in my family and I could see how it shows up in women and. I recognize how much so much of it was out of my control, but also how so much of it is within my control and what I could change and what could be shifted. I think people underestimate the power of what you just said. They, they drill down on medication or executive function and they forget all the other stuff you're talking about, which is really more powerful, I think. Yeah, I think very much so. I, I really do talk about shifting lifestyle and then a shift in in how you live and how you um eat but you were basically you didn't change i mean you didn't change the basics you're still married to the same man you still have the same children yeah i was very fortunate as well and i know you always say marry the right person and i know a lot of people aren't that fortunate and i have a huge amount of divorce in my family and it was almost like my mission to make sure <laughs> make sure we don't get divorced so we've been married for nearly 20 years 20 years in august um, we married quite young, um, much younger than other people. That was another thing. It was kind of like, oh, I used to, um, I used to tell myself, well, it's because he's, um, he, he looks after me and he helps me and he does. He is a big part of my executive functioning. He helps me yeah. with all the, um, the, 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 the letters and the spreadsheets. Yeah, but, the... but I can guarantee as much as he does that, you, you are not infantilized. You're, you're, you're doing for him. Yeah just as much as he's doing for you only you're the the spark the color the energy the ideas yeah uh, exactly and he, and he's the stabilizer and the you know producer yeah and he is and that's exactly what it is and um i think we make a good team but again before my adhd diagnosis it was me just saying well i'm i'm really rubbish because i don't know when to pay the mortgage and i'm really rubbish because i don't know um, what electricity company we're with and i'm really rubbish because um i don't know how to read an excel spreadsheet I'm, i definitely have dyscalculia so i just kept i love i love you british and how how polite you are an american <laughs> wouldn't say i'm really rubbish it would be another four letter word and, well and, you uh... can say that as well but that's how i used i just used to put my worth on something really practical but in essence my one of my big strengths is cooking and i love cooking and he can't cook so actually we wouldn't eat as a family if i didn't cook and he didn't do the things that he did so i'm now able to see with a better perspective but that's through lots of work i bet you always knew you had these unmeasurable qualities like spirituality the gift of generosity, the ability to love others without hardly even knowing them. Uh, I bet you always knew that was swelling up within you, but you just didn't know what to do with it. 
Yeah, like the sense of justice and and wanting to protect people and and stand up for people. Again, it was just like, well, just another weird trait. <laughs> Why do I care so much? Why am I so sensitive? But now, now you know better. Yeah, now with my four yeah. kids, I might I'm desperate to be able to help them thrive with resilience and self compassion and acceptance and and move forward and and your work and your your books and and I really do want to say to to all the listeners that ADHD 2.0 has been on my desk um ever since it came out I recommend it to all my clients because they say what can I read and I don't want them to have to go and read big heavy books and depressing books you know this is my go to because like you say it is all about the strength based and it's bringing out the stuff that, the stuff that you need to know but also the stuff that is going to take them through life and hopefully help them help their children because we I'm talking to a lot of women with kids with neurodiversity as well. Okay. I can't thank you enough for the work you do. You're a you're a lovely uh representative of the ADHD tribe and and uh thank you so much for the work you're doing. It's it's tremendously important. Well, honestly, thank you. And I if the offer is still there, I will be a case study for your book 100%. Absolutely. No, I I I, I thank you so much. I will I'll probably I'll probably write it up tonight. Okay. Well, thank you. And anybody that wants to um, read Dr. Halliwell's books are all over any bookshop you want. Just put his name into Google and you'll find lots of stuff. Dr. Halliwell, thank you so so much. I really appreciate your time today. Thank you, Kate. So that's today's episode done. Did what we talk about resonate with you? I really hope you found some takeaways that may inspire you to make some small changes that enhance your daily life. And if you did find this episode insightful, please do consider sharing it. Knowledge and awareness is power, especially with ADHD. You can also head over to the show's Instagram page, which is ADHD Women's Wellbeing Pod, and join the community that's waiting for you there. And if this episode really did strike a chord, please do consider leaving us a review to enable more people who need to hear these conversations find the show. Thanks so much for joining me today and see you next time.